Hello and welcome again. I'm Matt Sawyer. I'm Margaret Jackson. And I'm Romina Anach. And we're here for the latest episode of our podcast on uh, greener, greener practice. And this session we're going to be talking about over-medicalisation and what that means. So Margaret, over to yourself. What would you sort of include within that as, uh, as an area? So over-medicalisation um, involves over-diagnosis, over-investigation and over-treatment of conditions. So this is where you what we make diagnoses that aren't useful because they do not impact a patient's prognosis. This is where we undertake investigations that have really no clinical, are of no clinical benefit to the patient. Um, or indeed where we end up giving treatments that are either ineffective or cause more problems than they solve or are conferring some prognostic uh, benefit from which the patient is not going to um, benefit because by virtue of their age and frailty. Um, so that would be my my definition. And I think we've we've learned more and more about this um, over recent years and can actually see some examples of where um, conditions have increased in prevalence. And one example would be thyroid cancer, which over the last several years uh, we are diagnosing far more than previously, but yet the number of people dying from thyroid cancer has over that same period remained absolutely flat. So that increased diagnosis has actually conferred no patient benefit that is discernible. So they're not living any longer, it's just that they now have a diagnosis that they have to live with and wake mm -hmm. up every day with the anxiety and the knowledge that they've got something but that's not going to affect their lifespan. Well, more than that, Matt, they may well have, they'll have gone through uh, investigations that might have been quite burdensome and quite unpleasant and potentially gone through surgery also. Um, that ultimately has no clinical value. I, I remember in America that they used to do um, uh, angioplasties pr um, before people actually had any problems. And Is it preemptively? Yeah, yeah. So they had an angiogram um, that didn't have any... Uh, clinical uh, harm, but, the, but the insurance companies paid for them to have uh, coronary artery bypass grafting. It, it was absolutely crackers, and so that they were being over-medicalised, having receiving treatment that did absolutely nothing for their longevity, or they didn't have any symptoms, so it wasn't as if it was helping any symptom control, and it the millions of pounds on hundreds of thousands of people. It, it just reminds me of that, that we, we are doing things to people and patients that aren't actually benefiting them at all. And after all, we have committed to first do no harm. Mm. What are your thoughts about this, Runina? Um, I think it's it's a really interesting topic. And again, it fits um, really neatly into the sphere of, of greener practice because it's about leaner pathways. So reducing, as, as we've talked about in other episodes, um, reducing the stuff. And the things, if if there's a way of providing excellent patient care, um, without um, giving out so much stuff that then needs to be disposed of, and and in some way, and and also patient empowerment, because um, you know it's not always the case that we need a tablet to fix this. 
Um, there are many, many conditions, yeah. which I think it's fair to say we recognise more now that can be um, really altered and improved by lifestyle um, changes. Obviously, there are no side effects of lifestyle changes. We don't have to counsel patients, you know, about dizziness, about um, headaches, about, um, you know, dropping their blood pressure the first time they take this dose or diarrhoea or, you know, sunlight sensitivity. Um, so, I mean, one of my areas of real interest is is the, the what you touched on, cascade prescribing. So yes. prescribing a medicine that causes constipation and prescribing another medicine to help with the constipation. And then you might get dizzy from that second medicine. So you have to, so you're basically chasing one thing after another. And I mean, something like 20% of all hospital admissions in the over 65s are due to medicine interactions or medicine side effects. And that's not a small number, actually. And I heard it was of adverse drug reactions, I think 5% of people in hospital at any one time. Sure. And you just think if the hospitals had 5% less patients in, yes. they'd be yes. delighted. Yes. If the patients who didn't need to go to hospital because they didn't have a problem, they would be delighted. And I'm quite sure that whoever is the Secretary of State for Health would be delighted because there would be less people needing um, needing healthcare. Mm. I mean, there's just lots of wins, let alone the, uh, the environmental uh, benefits of doing this. Um, I think from a medication perspective, I still remember the first patient who I made better by stopping their medication. Um, for months and months and months, I've been trying to treat them for uh, for pain and neuropathic pain and giving them more medication, which had an anticholinergic side effect. And, and this cumulatively across all the medications made them dizzy, immobile, uh, forgetful, falling over. And so actually, the best thing that I could do was to stop the medication. Yeah. And this person got better. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was just amazing and wonderful to see. I had been the one who was poisoning them in the first place by, you know, accidentally by giving them mm. too much medication. Um, but actually, they were very grateful for me stopping the medication. And I think a lot of patients are um, are grateful if we can find an alternative way of uh, managing and dealing with their condition that mm. isn't reliant upon over uh, over medical over prescribing mm. and I think for me it's that inappropriate yes, over prescribing yeah, it's that inappropriate word that's key yeah. yes because of course we've got a number of patients who have to take medicine in order to survive you know we've got many conditions um, which can't be treated in any way any other way um, for instance insulin dependent diabetes other hormonal issues like um, you know people who have, don't have enough thyroxine on board so we're, we're, we're absolutely only talking about inappropriate um, over prescribing here. I think we've we've come to a place where there is a sense that uh, making a diagnosis or treating stuff is a good thing and uh, not making diagnoses or not treating is not a good thing but we've come to a place where we've started to question that approach and ask questions like is this diagnosis actually a useful diagnosis yes. um, is this treatment actually going to is is giving a very elderly frail person um treatment for their osteoporosis when their their overall outlook is not is not for many months or years of life is that a useful thing we've got to look we've got to ask those questions um i think that as doctors we receive a lot of training in learning how to prescribe drugs and what we're not doing is teaching doctors how to de-prescribe, but that is now 
becoming much more of a of, of an issue. Um, I think it's also that we're taught and trained to to test and to treat or to test and to diagnose. So things like yeah. testing for diabetes, for example. My granddad, um, he he died at ninety six. Um, and you think, well, actually, had he been tested for diabetes in a year or two before, what difference to his life would it have made? Yep. Would it have made him happy to know that he'd got diabetes or would it have made him quite sad and down and depressed yep. by giving him a very limited diet? So actually, he was far better off not knowing either way. There's things like cholesterol levels. If you, if you get to 96, do you really want to know that your cholesterol level is high or low? Because whatever your cholesterol level has been, it's got you to 96. Yes, yes. So it hasn't done you any harm. So there's a there's a there has to be a sort of a, a cutoff almost of how how long do we keep testing for yeah. some things? If you were 40 with a lot of symptoms, a lot of risk factors for diabetes, absolutely yes. testing would be highly appropriate. But if you're 96, I would suggest that it is not appropriate to overtest for for conditions that are not going to change your your life expectancy and actually could do you harm as a result. Yes. So with that in mind, Matt, what do you think we can um, advise patients that they can do? Um, in terms of overtesting, I think that one of the things is that we it's not just thinking about patients, but it's thinking about how our systems are set up. Because I think I know we were talking before we before we started about uh, people having their um, HbA1c for diabetes tested every year mm. whether it was appropriate or not so actually that's upon us in in primary care and in practices to be able to change how we are go how we yeah. recall patients how we um, arrange the tests for them yes so system change software yeah. uh, you know trying to make sure that our that, that there's some common sense applied to the to the software and the way that we call pa call patients in for their annual review and so on well so it's how it's how to use the system to work for for patients yeah. and for, and for us rather than us saying that oh well no the system makes us do it well yeah. no we need to make the systems uh, improve so that we're not over testing we're not uh, diagnosing inappropriately we're not prescribing or over prescribing too much stuff for the for the wrong uh, and we look at de-prescribing absolutely mm. i mean pediatrics is very good because they sort of say this person this child is now 10 or 15 or 20 do they still need the medication do they still need this dose of medication do they still need this preparation of medication mm. and actually because they know that life changes and people you know pedi uh, kids grow that they've got systems built in so that they can do those reviews but actually, do we do the same when we get patients who are 60 or 70 or 80 or 90? Do we say, is this still an appropriate medication to prescribe? I mean, I think that it, in some places there's some fantastic work mm. in. But the problem is that it's a bit ad hoc. It's not universal. If every practice, if every GP uh, and clinician was helping and every patient was aware that actually when I get to, to this age, I can ask the question, is this still needed? Mm. And I think that that's important as well. So I think that sort of that sort of you know patient empowerment, yeah. patient knowledge yes. of actually if you get to a hundred, you probably don't need your cholesterol tablet anymore. Well, actually, do I still need it at ninety-five? Do I still need it at ninety? Yes. Do I need it at eighty-five? You know, well, have that discussion with that. the patient. Is, and also, is, yeah, and and uh, you know, reminding patients that ultimately it's their decision. Yeah. Like we still have a cohort of patients who say. Well, the doctor told me I have to do it. 
or well I just assumed I would have you know it would it was still on my repeat so I had to take it and sort of gently encouraging them that it's always up to you it's it's my job to advise you about the pros and cons what will happen if you don't take this if I think you're making a really unwise decision then of course I'll say so but it's your body and your choice at the end of the day yeah and I think there are some medications which I think we would all say are absolutely essential And then there's some medications which are preventative and there are some medications which are for symptom control. Mm. And it's not that you'd apply the same rules to each of them. You know, the essentials are essential. The symptom control, well, actually, it depends on uh, how we're doing from uh, with your symptoms. Mm. Um, In terms of uh, what would be the top tips, what what would you do um, or what would you suggest that a practice might be able to do um, to make a difference? Well, I would suggest they go to Rumina's uh, package on the Greener Practice website. Rumina, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Um, yeah, so there's a, a really great uh, group of clinicians um, who are looking at um, over all this sort of stuff over medicalisation and, and, and making sure that the tests that we request and advise patients about are really appropriate and, and necessary and useful. Um, and so if you go to the Greener Practice website, there are some resources there. And um, you know we've just published a four page document, which is really interactive. It's very colourful and easy to read. It's on the optimal testing uh, subgroup web page and you can download it and use it during your consultations. And we can put the link in the uh, in the podcast notes as well. We can. Um, I think one of the other things that uh, we can um, help practices to do is to really think about a medication audit. Mm-hmm. You know, the patients, particularly on uh, polypharmacy, how appropriate or inappropriate is it? How can we make sure that they're being uh, reviewed with the patient mm-hmm. and talking openly and honestly and frankly about, you know, is this of benefit? Is it not of benefit? Yeah. Should we stop it? Should we reduce it? Can we taper it off? Um, are there alternatives? Are there non-pharmacological uh, ways of, uh, of treating some of the symptoms that the medication might be being used for? So I think a medication audit uh, within the practice and knowing who's on the, uh, um, the multiple medications uh, can be really, really helpful as well. Wonderful. Thank you all very much for being here. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode. Bye for now. Bye-bye.